Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Week in Review. We've previously, before recording, termed this the Muppet Special, since we've got a feature on the Muppets at the end. Although the other two features on the Boris's roadmap and the SNP would also fall under the same category, but we'll come to that soon. Um, I'm delighted, as always, to be joined by SD Wicket. Sam, how are you? Very well, Michael. How are you? I'm well. The first cigarette is already out. This is all on. This is all via audio, so you can't see this. But Sam can't go, just as I have always got a coffee by my side. Has always got a cigarette in his gob. Uh, the first one is there. We'll maybe we'll do a tally, Luke. We could do bets on this of how many uh, are, are gone through through the episode. Um, and I'm also joined, as I've hinted at there, with, by Luke Perry. Luke, how are you? Yeah, I'm very well. We're without a cigarette in my gob this afternoon. Good. So yeah. I, I would like to ask Sam the state of your lungs, because <laughs> it seems every, every podcast you're not without a cigarette. Well, I'm very yeah. worried. That's true. That's true. Well, because I think I am sitting in my room talking to my computer effectively, so this gives me some semblance of normality. Yeah. It's part of the statistic of a increasing indulgence in vice due to lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Got a victim right here. Well, of course, uh, the first topic today is, has been for, I believe this is our eighth episode, so for the previous seven, um, is lockdown. So speaking of cigarettes and the national health, uh, Sam, will go first to you, our expert, clearly on the, on the matter. Um, <laughs> you're going to tell us a little about the roadmap out of lockdown. What have you been reading this week? Yes. Um, so uh, this is something that I, I, I think we should take with a grain of salt. I mean, we've, we've been given no reason whatsoever to... Um, have any trust in our uh, our government um, since uh, April of last year? But if um, if if the government is to be believed, the end may finally be in sight. The the PM has set out his four step plan. Um, between so between now and late June, we will see a phase reopening of the country to the point where by mid June, um, most regulations are gone. Um, so step one, we'll see schools reopen and allowances of one-to-one -one meetings outside, uh, rule of six outside, and the adoption of sports through March. Uh, step two, we'll see hairdressers, thank God, uh, shops that aren't essential, theme parks, zoos, holiday lets, camping sites, that, that sort of thing. Um, step three is, is quite a big one. We'll see indoor hospitality, so we can finally go for a pint. Um, stadiums allowing up to 10,000 spectators. And under step four, the last things will be removed and they'll open nightclubs, um, which, I mean, you know, I, I won't go anyway, but it's something. So we will be looking at something resembling normal by then, if, we're, if nothing changes. We put a video out earlier this week when the, the roadmap was announced, as it's been called, uh, by James Black, who is our our main sort of critic of the, the lockdown and one of our uh, main advocates of uh, the, the sort of liberty grounds against lockdown, um, outlining his four steps for liberty. And he says that when, um, when these steps sort of come upon us and when we get to mid to late June and we're sort of more free than we, we are at the moment, a, a good sign from the government that it is really dedicated to getting rid of these rules would be to completely eradicate the coronavirus acts and have an inquiry into the the 1984, I believe, Public Health Act, which has uh, led the way in much of this, as well as a, a sort of a, a victory day celebration, um, as after the war, um, people made a real effort to sort of return Britain to what it had been, it seemed, in terms of social life. And I think it would be good if the government were to uh, lead a sort of celebration in that sense. But I think we may be 
wishing for a bit much there. Luke, what are your thoughts on the on the, the so-called roadmap out? Is this um, something we should be happy with overall or is it too slow? Well, it, it, it is too slow to tell because the government has given a phased reopening over many months with many strings attached. Hmm. There's, they're based on the number of cases, very arbitrary figures. The um, number of um, hospitalizations with the National Health Service that will be pushed to the brink when cancer patients start returning to treatment. And also, which I think is the most important one, no new variants. As, as you said repeatedly, cousin, viruses mutate to survive. And the variants, they haven't put a criteria where these variants have to be on a certain level of deadliness, they just have to be a new variant. Considering this is, yes, considering this is, it could be anything. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I think (laughs) we'll all be caught out. But if anyone believes the government and chalking up their calendars, it is 81 days until the pubs reopen. Yeah, this is is the mousetrap here, is the cheese is, you know, oh, you can go back to football games, you can go to the pub, you can do all this. But the, the trap is, you know, as soon as any variant happens, which, I mean, how, how, how many have sprung up over the course of this pandemic? Like h- hundreds, right? Um, mm. Yeah, so that, I think it gives the government a convenient um, back-out clause um, in the promise that they've, they've made to the nation. Um, and so, yeah, I mean... We'll see, but um, I think with, 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 with that little caveat right at the end, it's, um, it's hard to get really optimistic about it. But um, for, for my own sake, I, I will, uh, until proven wrong, take the government's word for it and uh, be happy. Innocent until proven guilty. Innocent until proven. Very brave of you, Wicket. Honest until proven dishonest. Right. Um, yeah, well, I think... The, the point you make, Luke, is quite right on the whole question of new variants. And even, even if um, no new variants uh, capture the media and the government's imagination until the end of the, the so-called roadmap, um, it does raise the question of if after June, maybe July, August, soon after that, um, when our freedoms have been handed back, you know, something that shouldn't have been taken away in the first place, of course, um, what if new variants arise at that point? Will the measures be sprung back upon us? I mean, there's already been talk, as we've mentioned, I think in pretty much every episode so far, um, of the potential of restrictions next winter when the coronavirus might uh, be able to spread more easily um, and perhaps new variants which can get around the vaccine. Um, so it might not necessarily be the end of the question. It might be something which reappears um, and as we've said before as well, maybe for um, other excuses, uh, other viruses, um, seasonal flus, if, if infection rates go above a certain level, um, then I think the mood has been set that the, the thing we do when that happens is go into lockdown. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean you know, it, as, as we, we said before as well, Michael, that, that can be triggered by uh, a wave of terrorism or, uh, or, or a natural disaster. Yeah, well, it did make me laugh. We've mentioned this, and some people, uh, environmentalists, have, have argued that um, saving the planet, you know, climate change, all this, is a good enough excuse for lockdowns. Um, well, I've read here that um, there are going to be fewer trains after lockdowns. Um, this is what the um, 
the uh, network rail have said there's going to be fewer commuter trains uh, in effort to improve services which is a questionable answer so it seems that more people i mean obviously fewer people are going to want to go on trains anyway because people are scared now of being less than six feet six inches away from somebody else um but um it seems if, if they do go ahead with this and the, the drive uh no pun intended towards uh, more car usage is going to be in full flow um awesome. which it's off track, but not something which should be looked forward to. It'll be an additional cost. Sorry, go on. Sorry, there's a simple point of economics there where if you have less trains, you can have more people on each train. It, it, it happened in London when, 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 when Khan reduced the amount of tube trains in use. The two, each tube train had more people, people on it. Yeah, that's, that's in London where fewer people have cars. But I think that on a national scale with normal rail services people would get so fed up that they would just turn to the car um less easy in london because you know the the, the amount of driving time and, and congestion charges and such are, are so high uh, that you'd, you'd rather not fare it uh, another one um but uh elsewhere i think more people would simply rather than packing onto trains the trains are already packed anywhere every time i go to birmingham which used to be at least uh, three times a week um it was packed or very rarely got a seat. So I think people would just give up and go to cars instead. Well, I think that a weekend rail service would be the optimal excuse for businesses to make their employees work from home. Still after, after the pandemic ends. Ah, tinfoil hat is on. You're sort of linking these together. That's where it gets into dangerous territory. But that's no, a good point. Going, going, going back, Michael, I think, as you said, this all, this all hinges on the, on the coronavirus acts. Because what, what, that, that, what that does, until that is repealed, what that does is it gives the government sort of the, the right of decree. Mm. Um, it's hanging over us constantly. It's mm. like a black cloud waiting to pour down. The, um, the sword of Damocles above us. Um. <laughs> We're very into it today, aren't we? Full flow. This is good. Um, yeah. Um, but but we, we moved slightly away from the, from the roadmap there. But um, in terms of businesses then so the pubs is it right that in april they'll be able to open outdoors that serving will be allowed to take place outdoors outdoors yes which is um again it it brings it into a question of you know um will 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 it be another thing where the, the bigger pubs like like your spoons and green kings can handle it and the smaller ones can't um, yeah well, one thought that struck me with that, I was talking to my better half about this, and thinking about the pubs in Burton, Burton having once been the, the brewing capital of, of Britain, if not the world, of course. Um, a lot of pubs, especially smaller pubs, the larger pubs would be able to get around this because they have very large premises and people can get around all certain ways. A lot of the smaller pubs um, either don't have beer gardens, or if they do, they have a car park which can be converted, which isn't particularly attractive. Mm. Um, mm. Or you can only get to them by going through the pub. Um, right, yeah, yeah. I imagine the sort of traffic flow, you know, going past the bars, past the seating areas, would be ludicrous. It's almost just say, what is the point? Just sitting yeah, it'd similar. It'd be a similar situation to what we had in um, the autumn when pubs could only open if they served a substantial meal. Well, I know many pubs in my hometown which didn't serve food to begin with, they were not prepared when these when this new restrictions rolled in. Or even so, pubs will be caught out in a similar way here. Yeah. Or, or even before that, I remember there being these ludicrous laws in pubs. I once I was in a pub and I, 
I saw that the uh, the quiz machine, and I, I felt like playing pointless. That's why. And um, I was standing up to use a machine, and a bartender said I, I had to sit on the stool because if I was standing, the COVID could get me. If I was sitting, it would just go over my head. Um, yeah, crazy. Yeah. Well, the question here, really, in terms of the, the small and large pubs, is um, could this actually be financially more harmful for the pubs? Because, of course, if they're serving outside, the, the staff have got to come back, um, no longer on furlough, therefore, and the, the pubs have got to pay for them. They've got to order in booze. They don't know how much to order in because how popular is outdoor seating going to be? What is the seating capacity outdoors? Is it going to be enough to, fathom, to, to warrant Sorry, getting x amount of kegs or is that going to run dry and all this it could end up being more costly and more of a headache for landlords especially as small pubs who haven't got the the directors above them um on yeah. whom all the 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 expenditure is uh, sort of to blame um and throw, it, it, throw, throw into the mix english weather where you get like the occasional just sunny days come out of nowhere where everyone, everyone suddenly wants to go to the pub yeah you know, you have random days where the demand is like quadruples. That's it, exactly. So it's the massive difficulty. I mean, the, the social pub that we went to, Luke, in, um, in Birmingham, the, the Bornbrook and Sally Oak Social Club, um, I was talking to the, the guy who ran that, Mick, um, before first lockdown, because we had to cancel some of the events with the society there. And he was talking to the difficulties. Uh, he didn't know how much to order. It was coming up to the day. I think this was like two weeks before the lockdown was imposed. It was coming up to the day where he had to make his order. He was just about to run out, had to make his order. What do you order? Um, how many people are going to come? And you, you're right, Sam. What if they order a low amount because they think capacity is going to be low? And then a great sunny day comes about. Lots of people want booze, but there isn't any. So instead, they go to the larger establishments. I think a lot of small pubs, I mean, we saw last year i can't remember the figure but a good amount of of, of public houses just didn't open uh, especially the smaller ones they thought that it wasn't going to be um worth it for the amount of uh, outwards costs um so they just didn't bother opening i could see the same thing happening here at least between april and and mid-june if not beyond that also we talk about an overflow overflow of demand how many pubs have already gone bust that won't yeah. be opening in April and May. Yeah. I'll also throw into the mix the fact that um, hospitality has a comparatively very low rate of infection for the coronavirus. Yeah. It's responsible for a, for a laughably low number of the overall infections. Mm. Yeah. But that, of course, doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> uh, one question... I think we'll talk about this at the end a bit more since it's, it's worthy of a, a good discussion. And we've, again, we've talked about this so many times and I've written on it at least 10,000 times. Um, but is the, the question of, of uh, COVID passports for the, the um, for pubs, and restaurants and other venues. Um, now, of course, I think you wrote about this, Luke, if, if it's uh, if we come to a stage where these sorts of passports are introduced, then the the, the vaccine straight away has become essentially uh, mandatory. Those who don't take it um, either won't be able to work in the pubs or won't be able to go and socialise in them, and so are stripped of their lives. Um, do you think that would have much of an impact on pubs, or do you think that most people are going to take the vaccine anyway, so as to not make that much of an economic question rather than just a, just a question of liberty? I think. 
for the latter point, many people will, will take the vaccine anyways, but the government wants everyone to take it, which that they will run into a roadblock there. I think that the case with the pubs is um, that they can claim that they're not spreading infections if all their employees are vaccinated, yeah. if, all the, if all the customers are as well. And we just moved to a place where um, there are vaccinated pubs and there are non-vaccinated pubs. And we become a segregated society for a few months. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we've we've had um, again messaging from from the Queen actually today, uh, saying that those who who don't take the the vaccine essentially are selfish. I think the exact words were, uh, "Think of your think of others rather than yourself," which doesn't quite work in this sense. And I must say, I was quite disappointed when. When I read that, I think it was a, a step too far from from the monarch, admittedly. Um, yeah, it, it, it sounds like it sounds, sounds like like something just written by the the, the press team and um and then put out. But also, you know, you, you 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 almost can't not think about yourself when taking the vaccine because as as the trend is emerging, it's it's becoming more and more apparent that if you don't take it, your life will be severely impacted, not health wise, but socially. Yeah, exactly. Um, and of course, the, the the point is there is that um, by suggesting mandatory uh, vaccines de facto, as, we'll, as as I say, as we'll talk about at the end, um, the the government itself, or maybe not the government, but those who support such measures, uh, measures are only thinking about themselves rather than others. They're not thinking about the um, the reasons that other people might not wish to take a vaccine or um, or the general question of that forgotten thing, liberty. Um, but that I think is another matter. But as I say, we'll 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 possibly move on to that issue a bit more at the end, um, since we've distracted away from the roadmap. Maybe we'll we'll take a, a turn off and go on to the the next question, uh, Luke, which is yours, and you've been reading up on the uh, the excitement within the SNP this week. What can you tell us about it? So I, I have the story on the Muppets this week, lucky me, um, where uh, we discussed the special episode of the, the Banana Republic up north, <laughs> where uh, the uh, SNP is engaging in some questionable activity. So it starts with um, the main man of the story, Alex Salmond, he uh, led the campaign for Scottish independence in 2014, but has, has since fallen from grace due to a number of sexual assault allegations. He was a, he gave testimony where he accused the First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, of breaking the ministerial code by lying to the Scottish Parliament. And he's also accused the First Minister of working behind the scenes to destroy his re reputation. Now, the joke going around at the minute surrounds Sturgeon's comment that there is not a shred of evidence of this, by which she means she has already shred the evidence. <laughs> so uh, the uh, the Crown Office, the, the equivalent of um, England's Crown Prosecution Service, has uh, censored the evidence Alex Salmond gave and has prevented it from being viewed by the Scottish Parliament. Now, Alex Salmond is currently giving testimony live right now. So uh, poor, a little bit of poor timing for, for um, when we record the episode, but um, we have enough... Um, <laughs> This is content this is, to dig into at the minute. This is going to be like episode one, where we were talking about the, uh, the Cattle Hill siege, and then within hours of, of the recording, 
um, Trump got like purged by Silicon Valley, and yeah. we, we missed out on like the biggest. <laughs> it's the pains of the twenty-four hour news cycle. So um, it is. It is. The story is still in date, but it's a continuing development. So um, the Crown Office demanded that the press not publish any details, and they rec- and they demanded that the Spectator magazine remove a paragraph they had written about the event. The Spectator won a court case with the Scottish courts, permitting the um, magazine to publish the article. But the Crown Office sort of hit back with a claim that um, the names of Alex Salmon's accusers would um, lose their anonymity. Now, th- this was a completely bogus claim spurred up by uh, SNP employees. But the, um, the courts took the bait and uh, the Crown Office won in the end. And um, what's disturbing about the Crown Office is that it's working hand in hand with Sturgeon's government. The, um, the Lord Advocate is both the head of prosecutions and the government's chief legal advisor. And we sort of have a, seen a similar case as we do down here where the press has just been muted. It's parody, it follows the government line to, the, to a T. Yeah. And uh, it just shows what we've seen over the last year really where um, the, the powerful have been protected and uh, <coughs> scrutiny, it, seems to be a distant memory this is the the um <clears throat> the, the the part that i find most um disturbing about this is one so this is about what sturgeon is alleged to have done um alleged to have misled parliament and violated material code but also interfered in a in the investigation by the civil service which is where the two claimants came from now she denies his claims but if they are proven true that could be the end of her political career However, I was interviewing uh, someone from my podcast last night um, who lives in Scotland and she was telling me that people don't care. You know, right. it's, it's like it's like for this, they can forgive her because she gives it gives them the, the, the promise of independence. Um, yeah. What I've noticed as well, it's, it's become very tribal. You see it on social media, those with St. Andrew's Cross in their profiles just come to the defense of Nicola Sturgeon <laughs> without a thought for what's happening. Mm. Well, that does lead on to the wider question, rather, of, of what the impact of all this squabbling is on the, the future possibility of, say, either another uh, independence referendum or just support for Scottish independence more generally. What do you think the impact, Luke, of all this is? Well, I think, um, as, as, as Wicket says, people do not care if Sturgeon's the road to independence and Sturgeon that they will take. I think it will um, certainly question the legitimacy of devolution, whether that would continue. But I think we're too far down the road now that getting rid of the regional parliaments would be a massive challenge. And I think I don't think another independence referendum is coming, but I can't see past that whether Scotland will vote to, yeah. to remain again or leave. Oh. There was a slight dip in polling. The SNP uh, they fell to a uh, to a twelve point lead. So, um, I mean, it just shows you, you know how much scandal is required to actually. But also, it shows how how toothless the opposition in Scotland is, where even even with the um, <clears throat> the Scottish Tories and Scottish Labour sort of banding together over this, it's still not any form of um, reliable account for the SNP. They are they are, they are, they are simply hegemonic in Scotland politically. Um, it, yes, it just you look at the, the, the general election results, nearly all of Scotland is coloured in yellow. Hmm. The and uh, that, that's um, 
solely because the SNP is a nationalist party. Uh, Labour originally thought they uh, had lost Scotland in 2015 because they weren't left-wing enough. Well, Corbyn came along and the SNP still trounced them. Yeah. So it just shows the partisan allegiances that are taking place north of the border. Yeah, it seems to me that a lot of the English press, I mean, the Telegraph especially, and the Times actually, has been, been running a lot of stories, uh, a lot of opinion pieces on how damaging this is to independence you know all of this shows that independence isn't possible and that independence will never happen and thinking they've got the upper hand but as you've said it seems that north of the border people aren't paying attention to this if they've supported independence then all these you know political goings on haven't changed their mind um and that allegiance is not only to independence itself but to the smp has remained strong mm. Well, yeah, it's the same thing with the thing with the SNP, isn't it? Is that is that it's as you said, Luke? It's a thing about devolution where it opens the door for them to take credit for everything good that happens and then blame everything bad that happens on on Westminster. Um, the the sort of the 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 us and themism in Scotland is so strong that this just this will just bounce off people. You know, Scotland currently is sort of operating as an independent state. Nicola Sturgeon closed the border with England. Yeah. She's, she's had her de facto independence, she's had her 15 minutes of victory. And I think that after the pandemic, this road towards independence, will, particularly in a, it, Scotland and Wales, will, will, will just go full throttle now. Because they can blame the UK government for the catastrophe of COVID, despite having <laughs> large amounts of power themselves, large amounts of responsibility. And having at many times being in favour of stricter restrictions. Um, yeah. It's like this. It's the Starmer opposition. Well, yes. It's, uh, oh, we're, we're we're against the government that they should have locked down two weeks earlier. Mm. Now, on that, I think we should go on to the the last topic, and it it seems now that it's time to face the music for the Muppets. Thank you very much. Um, now, the I, you, some listeners might know I work at a, a local shop through the. Uh, through the lockdowns to pass time and this gives me the uh, the joy in the mornings or in the evening of either putting out or putting away the newspapers um so it's the only opportunity i have as i wouldn't shame myself as as uh, being seen reading it at other times to read the daily star uh, which uh, admittedly has some pretty good covers um one of the recent ones that caught my eye was that the muppets have been hit by a trigger warning and uh, immediately i thought uh, Maybe Kermit has been trashed for being a like Pepe the alt-right frog or Miss Piggy is being done for fat shaming. But no, Disney has instead put trigger warnings on 18, no less, episodes of The Muppets um, for, quote, offensive content, quote, negative depictions and or mistreatments of people of different cultures. So that's it. There's one episode in which... Um, one of the Muppets puts on a, a fake Indian accent. Can you imagine? And another in which Johnny Cash has a Confederate flag while singing a song draped over his shoulders. Um, and of course, this is just so shocking and unbelievable that people have to be warned so that they can, uh, if they see fit, turn off the screens before watching. I mean, how soft have we come? This is just absolutely... I know that the phrase is a very tired one of PC gone mad, but I think actually it's, it's quite acceptable in this circumstance. Why yeah. is it 
a, a Muppet putting on, literally a child's television puppet putting on an accent is so offensive that viewers need to be warned beforehand that they might be offended by it. What is going on? The, the most unassuming, wholesome show for children. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm practically rendered speechless by this. I, I can't just quite get, get my head around it. I mean, it, it's, it's the Muppets. That's all I can say. It's, it's the Muppets. Come on. Like, this is a story the... where I found it difficult to um, distinguish satire from reality when scrolling through news feeds. The Babylon Bee, which claims to be satirical, but I think otherwise, said that a trigger warning was implemented to um, tell the modern viewers of the modern day that comedy was once acceptable. Uh, I also saw a headline that at Kermit was um, like linked to uh, Pepe the alt-right neo-Nazi frog. Oh, I, honestly that. I honestly thought that was real <laughs> until I saw Babylon B. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's been happening with other things. It happened with Greece when that was shown o over Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, it's happened with, uh, happened with British sitcoms over the summer. Yeah, only Fools and Horses got a trigger warning to say that, oh, the, the, the views expressed by um, East End uh, Cockney um, working class men would be uh, not up to scratch with the modern utopian progressive view of today. So it's, but with the Muppets, I mean, you couldn't have picked a better title to um, play politics on, could you? Well, we know, we know who the real Muppets are in this story. I mean, one of the, one of the things that, that strikes me, so one of the unbelievably offensive things which takes place in the Muppets is, as I say, the adoption of a, a fake Indian accent. Crikey. Um, but just imagine instead, I'd say imagine, I'm sure this happens through many of the episodes, that uh, one of the, the puppets is instead putting on a, an accent of a, a, a sort of middle class or upper class posh uh, English twit, right? And, and yeah. pretending to be something that they're not again. That wouldn't be branded offensive. People now would love it. I mean, think of the Crown, for example. Um, it uh, it's includes the sexualization of, of of the monarch and other members of the the royal family. Um, those who take part in the program have talked in interviews about how they put on the accents by saying, "Oh, by saying I can't remember what it is," but they say they put on their voice in all sorts of ways, so as to not to mock, but to put on. The, the accents of aristocrats and monarchs. But of course, that's not deemed offensive because it's not offensive. The whole point of actors is that they, they put on certain voices and change their looks and, and, and manners in certain ways so as to pretend to be other people and sometimes to mock that too, if, if appropriate. I just can't see why this is deemed offensive, but other stuff isn't. I mean, really, none of it is. It's a complete fanciful nonsense. I do have to ask, is the accent in question is it like a mocking uh, caricature or is it just a, 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 a depiction? From my reading, it's just a fake Indian accent. So it's right. not necessarily mocking. It's just someone... So okay, that's, like, that's like when they tried to ban Apu from Simpsons. I think, I think they did in the end. But it was... It was well, whether they banned him or not, the actor themselves said... Yeah, I'm yeah, not, yeah. It, it was literally just like a... a, a, <laughs> a fairly accurate depiction of, of an accent or someone from, from that part of the world. I mean, it's so... It's so not because it, it does it it, it it confuses me because I'm I'm left wondering well are we supposed to embrace different cultures or not? Yeah, because the the, the the messaging is so mixed. Hmm. Strange well, phenomenon where minority characters are just being purged by the woke left. Yeah. And I think one TV show, the character called Speedy Gonzalez, who's um, 
caricature of Hispanics. And of course, he has a lasso, he has a sombrero, and that they, um, that TV station had a load of complaints about the character. They took it off the air. But these complaints were largely from white, middle class metropolitans. And the, the character was brought back onto the show because of outrage from the Hispanic community. So yeah. it, it just shows how it's just complete virtue signaling. These people, it's not offending the, um, the people it depicts. It's offending people who are acting offended on behalf of other people. Yeah. Well, think of an example there, thinking about it. I just thought, I might be wrong with this, but I'm just thinking of it. Monty Python, say. Now, one like the life of Brian, there probably, well, there will be, there are other cultures depicted, and you can see how someone would want to put a trigger warning on that. But say, for example, The Meaning of Life, where uh, they put on uh, Catholics with the Every Sperm is Sacred song and, and bankers uh, and an office Briggs at the beginning with the the opening war scene. I can't imagine that the sort of Wokies would put any label on that because, as you say, the the offence it's not offence, but the mocking is is based on the wrong sort of people. They're either upper class or they're westernised or uh, white. Therefore, it's not insulting. Completely backward idea. Yeah, there's there seems to be that there's no bad tactics, just bad targets. Yeah. And interestingly, with the Muppets, I was reading, I, I couldn't help but laugh even at this defence, because again, we're talking about children's puppets. But anyway, uh, the Muppets are said to have made efforts uh, when creating their programmes uh, to show American children, not just white Americans, again, I don't know how they do that with puppets, as they're green or red anyway, but anyway, not just to depict American people, but to depict people from all cultures and all ethnic types, all this. So as you say, it's, um, it's taking away that representation and um, an inclusion of everybody being mocked. I mean, there's no one in the Muppets who isn't mocked. That's the whole point. All, character, all characters are supposed to be amusing. Um, so it's taking away the right of someone from a different background of being mocked, of being included in that sort of laughing circle. Um, and say, so, oh no, we, we, uh, we understand that you don't find humour uh, humorous, so we'll, we'll leave you out of this, we don't want to offend you. Um, which, which, if anything, is actually more offensive. Yeah, yeah. I, I managed to get a laugh out of you, Michael, yesterday, when we were on the phone, and I was talking, I talking to you about how Sesame Street introduced a, uh, an autistic Muppet. <laughs> Just those, those, well, those two words alone, I thought, if we can do that here, actually, we can take out those two words and claim your saying it to somebody else, the autistic Muppet. You can definitely get cancelled for that, surely, uh, if you were to call someone that. That's pretty pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. as we were saying before the recording, it kind of, it, it ties into the whole wider trend of um, this sort of, this, this this culture of making everything safe and kind of padded and, and coddling and utterly dull and sanitised is now coming for children's entertainment. I mean, this week we've also, also seen the... Um, Gender neutralizing of Mr. Potato Head. So now it's just Potato Head. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Potato Head. Yes, it's the um, much loved children's toy. Mr. Potato Head is now just Potato Head. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> were, even though there was already a Mr. and Mrs., yes. it confounds me. And that now I think they're going to have to go edit the original Toy Story movies to. Um... Well, thinking of that, isn't the voice of Mr. Potato Head Don Rickles? Yeah, it is. Imagine, imagine what Don Rickles would have to say about that. I mean, he's probably, in, in the, in the Wokies' eyes, one of the most insulting uh, comedians there's ever been. It's brilliant as well. Never, very rarely rude, very rarely swore, but 
very good on uh, different cultures. So that's that's quite amusing actually that it's his character. Um, I mean, another one was Dad's Army, um, which was tagged as containing discriminatory language because of the way uh, some of the the actors um, referred to the people of Sudan. Um, which does lead to the question: uh, Who do they think they're kidding? These wokies. Who is it that? Um, they are trying to protect with all this because as we've said it's not not the regular viewers who are going to find any of this offensive if anything it's amusing um is it just their own groupings um or are they trying to change the way people view this are they trying to make it so that when watching it people do think oh actually this is insulting um what, what do you think is it are they preemptively trying to change the way people view these programs the problem is is that they've got a very very totalitarian way of thinking they view everything as political so they see a, a film they see a comedy and think oh and they try and fit it within their preconceived notions about the world so all jokes are taken seriously there's n no room for satire everything has to be dead serious 100 percent all of the time and <laughs> that's just frightening I think when we were talking so much, so when we were talking, we I think I said that this is part of the the guff that is put out every week by so-called political scientists um, that everything is political. Which, if you're to have a serious debate about it, fine, maybe everything is political. That's that's fine then. But it's so boring and such a used statement that that even a children again a children's puppet uh, should be accused of being offensive because of putting on an accent. Well. It's just such dross, really. Sam, what you Sorry. I don't... Think about it now. I don't think this is about making the Muppets more accessible or... It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like everything we see in, the, in this sort of area. It's like same with, you know, decolonising curriculum. It's not about improving the standards of, of, of the course or, again, making the Muppets, you know, a more universal experience. It's just... It's another power game. Um, and this is just, just a, a, a tree in the forest of... Uh, top-down societal change. That's a good point, actually. Is this is this simply a way of of these people saying we've won? It's a bit, we've lost. It's a bit, we yeah. can't watch a program now without being told this is offensive, mm. whether we think it is or not. We're told it is. We can't think of that matter. You know, uh, one of the others, uh, the royal family, not the uh, not the institution, but the program um, was branded a, with a with a trigger warning because. Uh, Jim Royal um, referred to uh, Lawrence or Alan Bowen, who is on a on the TV that he's watching as a Nancy boy. Um, that is deserving of a trigger warning for for insult. It, even though everybody in in the royal family is insulted, no one more than the characters themselves. I think the whole point of it is to depict them in a pretty negative light, and it works. Um, so, as we say, is is this more? I think it is a way of rubbing into the right spaces and saying, we've won, you've lost. There's nothing you can do about it. This is offensive because we say so. And if you think otherwise, that doesn't matter because we have the power. Yeah, it does strike me as, as a display of dominance more than anything. Because hmm. I mean, seriously, I, I, I don't think... Again, I, I wouldn't put it past people, but I, I can't imagine people were seething and, and, and frothing at the mouth at the sight of the Muppets. You know, it, it's just... It's, I don't know, perhaps I'm predicting my own mentality um, onto this, but yeah, I, I can't imagine anyone being that upset by an actor on the Muppets. Well, it's part, part of a part of permanent revolution. They have to continually find enemies to dismantle and er eradicate from, from society. That's what we, we were 
talking about on for the cover piece wicket and uh, this is just another, another link in the chain to that it, it's more of a salt in the wounds than yeah. <laughs> a total revolution mm. it, yeah it, it's it's you know staking the new regime in right yeah absolutely well it, it seems we've actually contradicted ourselves there and turned uh, an everyday matter into a political issue but only in commentary so we're we're okay there but i think uh before we bog ourselves down too much more on the, the victory of the the cultural revolutionaries, we will uh, we'll move on to the the last few topics. We, we've all presented our our cover story, so to speak. Um, but some of the other things that have been going on, we've already mentioned it uh, in the the first discussion. Uh, COVID passports. Now, just before we started recording, I saw um, that that Michael Gove has been interviewed either today or yesterday. And he again has confirmed that you will not need a, a COVID passport in order to go to a pub. Um, he said it twice. He was adamant. No, not necessary. Will not be needed. The government won't be enforcing this. Um, now, I don't know if I'm being, I'm not normally like this actually, but I listened to that and thought, actually, I, I think he might be right there. I think my opinion on this is that the, the government, as we said earlier, is adamant, but first we heard the whole zero COVID stuff. Now it's 100% vaccinated. And I think the government knows that if it keeps on going on with this passport stuff, it will be used internationally, we know that. Um, it already is being in, in certain areas. Um, maybe nationally yeah, in some circumstances, but not for things like pubs and restaurants. I think the government knows that if it were to say you can't go to a pub or restaurant without having the vaccine, that, that would lead actually to more people not taking the vaccine more people would would have this feeling within them that um actually i don't want you to bully me around like a child um i don't agree with you teach, uh, treating me like that um i'm supposed to be your boss i elect you and yet you're saying i can't do this or that until i've done my homework or i can't have the pudding before i've had the dinner you can't go to a pub without having your vaccine i think people just won't won't be treated like that they'll disregard I, it i think it, as well um electorally it'll, it'll create another populist elitist uh d dynamic the same one that led to uh, a vote like brexit as well it it opens the door for a populist to come in and say hey i'll i'll remove any vaccine mandates that kind of thing and you know yeah the government also has to watch out for the the may elections mm. in um <laughs> the, the month when the pubs are open mm. Mm. yeah i mean it, it, again we'll see but also at the same time, I mean, the, the, the government at this point is so detached from the rest of the country. I mean, the the the, the parliament we have now in, t in respect to, to lockdown and that sort of thing is is beginning to resemble the broken parliament that we had under May, where the disconnect between parliament and the public was so massive that um, nothing that they, they did made any sense to us. I think the it's right to point out the, the election, uh, the electoral impact but I, I do question after all this how large the impact would actually be i think a lot of people um it seems from certain polling well, i don't know how much we can believe that uh, but actually want the uh, the vaccine to be mandatory or wouldn't mind the whole question of passports in fact i imagine a lot of people uh from from the current moods would would refuse to go to a pub unless um the those around them did have the vaccine uh, that seems to be the way a lot of behaving so the the electoral question is a question is a a, a, a questionable one, so to speak. The people are so over governed that they see this as being 
the only route back to normality, which people are, are craving so, 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 so desperately. Well, the papers have played a large role in this. I mean, the papers have been shameful, actually, on this, the way they've reported it. Um, it always says, freedom will return as new passports are written about, you know, all this sort of stuff. They frame it. They don't, they very rarely question until maybe the sixth paragraph, by which point people have turned to page three instead. Um, they, they lead by saying that it's our route to freedom. They just take the government's line on it. They don't. They, they could even just report it as completely blandly and say COVID passports being discussed. That would be enough. But instead, they literally copy and paste the government's line and say freedom coming due to new COVID passports. It's shameful stuff. Isn't there like a dark irony there? Is uh, freedom comes in the form of this? Um... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> this, yeah, freedom comes in the form of this two-tier society where only people who have had the, this injection can go about that. Yeah, I mean, one could just as easily make the opposite. Um, make the opposite headline: uh, freedom quashed for those who don't choose to have a vaccine. Um, but they don't go with that. They they ignore the fact that some people uh, either are, might not be able to have the vaccine for certain medical reasons, or the fact that some people don't want to have the vaccine uh, on whatever ground um, which you know we can we can say that people should have the vaccine or whatever but um, if people choose not to then there's very little you can do about that you can tell them of the advantages of it that's fine but if, if they if they look at those and say no I think I'm going to go without thank you very much then that should be the end of the conversation it's, it's like everything else where the government's just gone about it the complete, completely the wrong way where the way should have been to offer as many as possible, try and get all the vulnerable groups vaccinated, and then at the same time, um, you know, make it very difficult to discriminate on those grounds, but of course they won't do that. Yeah, well, what, what they've said, uh, Mr. Van Tam, whatever his name is, has said, um, the, the vaccine minister, that is, has said, oh, vaccine passports, terrible thing, not how we do things in the UK, discriminatory, he said. Uh, and then he was asked, what will you do if uh, workplaces demand people have the vaccine? Uh, well, we won't be doing that as a government, but if they do that, so be it. Which is completely contradictory. They've got absolutely, considering how tough they've been on the lockdown, to roll over in that way over the vaccine passports, which is a very serious question, uh, is, um, is worrying. Hmm. There are, are there any other topics in the news this week which are particularly yes. um, of your eye? I want to uh, to go back to a successful prediction that I made in the very first episode of, the, of this show, where I said um, that sooner or later we would see the uh, debutante ball of the returning military industrial complex. And uh, I'm not happy, but I'm sort of quite smug to say that it took 37 days for, right. for, 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 for the US's first significant military intervention in the Middle East. Just over a month. Mm. Um, the American war machine's back up and running with the orange man gone. We, we, we can talk about justification and you know how it was a strike on um, Iranian-backed militia, but it, again, it's the same thing where <laughs> the, um, the arrogant foreign policy of the American establishment is uh, once again dead set on ignoring all the lessons that were learned in, in Libya and uh, Iraq and now um, joining the... Um, the milieu of, of uh, foreign interventions in Syria. Yeah, I mean, I remember reading that, that Donald Trump was the most warmongering, it said, it said despite uh, starting no wars, Donald Trump was the most warmongering president in US history. I thought, oh, what a boring headline. And as you say, 37 days, Biden's in already. 
they're out onto the field. But I mean, a lot of I think Democrats and um, and sort of those who oppose Trump in America will brush this over. They'll say, well, they'll, they'll give up justifications. Whereas if it had been under Trump, um, I think uh, it would have been a rather different matter, especially amongst the press. It's exactly the 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 press is key here. Who for four years straight were just addicted to Trump scandal. Um, the, um, the, the, the questioning around this has been very limp from the American press. Um, and I imagine the questioning was more tough on why Trump stayed up so late tweeting, which again, who cares? Uh, frankly, you know, Trump sends angry tweets at 1am news flash. Whereas, you know, 37 days into his presidency and, and engaging in this action already hmm. probably creates less interest, certainly less rage. Hmm. which is self-enraging and there you are hmm. there you have it there you have it that has been the week in review thanks again for listening um if you got this far well done and we'll see you again next week cheers cheers bye bye